This series of Friday's Child is brought to you in association with The Healthy Home. I don't know about you mamas, but my desire to nest and organize my home has only increased since the arrival of my daughter. I am obsessed with making sure my home is clean and hygienic for my little one, but there are certain germs and nasties that cannot be seen by the naked eye. Well, this is where the wonderful team at The Healthy Home come in. The Healthy Home is the leading company in the Middle East specialized in advanced eco-friendly sanitization technologies, home services and products. Their esteemed team have been expert leaders in the home services industry since 2013, so they really know what they're doing. As we enter the height of the sweltering summer heat here in the UAE, we are all going to be spending a lot more time in our homes and our AC systems are going to be working overtime. So now is the perfect time to get the healthy home team in to make sure your home is free of impurities that cannot be removed by regular cleaning methods. And if not managed properly, germs, bacteria and viruses can be spread across your home through your AC. Poor indoor air quality can trigger allergies, asthma, eczema, morning fatigue, itchy eyes and even bed bugs. So protect your family and have peace of mind that your home is not only clean, but safe. I recently had the Healthy Home team in to clean and sanitize my baby's nursery, including her crib mattress along with my mattress. And if you want to see what came off my poor mattress after the team had worked their magic, check out my highlighted stories on the Friday's Child Instagram page for a real shot. All their treatments are chemical-free and eco-friendly, so they're 100% safe for infants and children. It felt so fantastic to know my baby's mattress was thoroughly cleaned and sanitized, along with the rest of her nursery. And mamas, guess what? These treatments don't just give you peace of mind that everything is beautifully clean. The benefits also include better breathing, better sleep, and improved energy levels. And I'm delighted to report we all slept very soundly through the night after that one visit from the Healthy Home team. The Healthy Home has quickly become an integral part of our home maintenance and I've already marked on the calendar our next visit as it's very important to have these treatments every six months to maintain all the fabulous health benefits. If you'd like to find out more about the Healthy Home Services, just visit their website www.thehealthyhome.me or check out their Instagram page, both of which are linked in the show notes of this episode. Welcome to a brand new series of Friday's Child, the podcast on a mission to educate, empower and support you on your parenting journey. I'm your host, Peter, a British expat who's been living in Dubai for 10 years and first-time mama to my gorgeous little girl, Mavia. I have some incredible guests for you this season, including Heidi Murkoff, the author of the iconic, best-selling book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, YouTube star, Nurse Zabe, along with amazing childbirth educators, parenting coaches, and real mums keeping it very real. So let's get into it. My guest today is an incredible woman who turned her experience with postnatal mental illness into a beautifully creative business that she is extremely passionate about. This business is called Soap and Hope, which are homemade vegan bath and self-care products that are not only gorgeous, but are helping to raise awareness about postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis. 
Now, before we get into our conversation, I just want to give a trigger warning to listeners that during this episode, we speak about postnatal mental illness and intrusive thoughts. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Soap and Hope founder, the lovely Lacey. Lacey, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I feel really privileged to be having you on the show and for the conversation we're about to have because it's not something I have spoken about before on the podcast. Um, So let's start by you telling us your story and I guess start from the beginning because we're going to come on to your beautiful company, Soap and Hope, but I want to go right back to um, when you were pregnant and your, and your first baby. And yeah, so take, take me back um, to the very beginning of your motherhood journey. Definitely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I love speaking about my story and raising awareness. So this is a great opportunity. Thank you. So, um, I had postpartum psychosis after the birth of my second baby. So starting right back from when I was pregnant with my first, I suppose, I had a great pregnancy with my first child. I absolutely loved being pregnant and the birth was amazing. The bonding initially was amazing and I never really had any mental health issues. Um, I think I probably went through the baby blues as most of us mums do. Um, But I never really felt unwell as in with my mental health so then when I fell pregnant with my second child I had just started studying as a midwife so I had completed three years of college to get into midwifery university and worked so hard to get there so the pregnancy was completely unplanned Um, so at first that was the first thing I think I think it was a domino effect of things and that was definitely the first thing a complete unplanned pregnancy and then the whole way through the pregnancy I didn't bond with the baby at all I didn't even really believe that there was a baby growing inside of me and um, people used to say oh how how are the movements and I'd be like oh I haven't felt anything when I knew that I had but I didn't want to admit that I had you know and um I remember saying oh I've got a really dodgy tummy today like I feel like I've got butterflies in my tummy it just won't go away and some one of my fellow midwife students said to me well, don't you think that might be movements and I was like no, no, my baby doesn't move. My baby doesn't move. And so at the time, I didn't realise that anything was wrong. I was just getting on with it. But looking back at it now, those were clear signs that things weren't right from the offset. Um, and my bond to my daughter, so my first child, grew even more so than what it was. So I felt like the way that I analyse it now is that my bond that I was having towards the unborn baby was coming out in my daughter. And um, I carried on with uni and I actually, my waters broke six weeks early. So premature baby as well. It, whilst I was assisting with a C-section. So, I mean, that's another story oh in itself. But, so you were actually yeah. in theatre and your theater. water broke. Yeah. So my one job that day was to take baby from the surgeon and give baby to mum and, you know, give that amazing first moment of skin to skin and baby on chest. And as I took a step to take the baby, my waters just gushed all over the theatre floor. So that was quite traumatic. 
And I remember the lovely lady laying in the bed was like, oh, congratulations. And I just thought, oh, I'm so sorry. I've taken your moment. Oh, my um, goodness. She'll never forget. I mean, you never forget that moment anyway, but that's a story she will remember and tell everyone for years to come, I'm sure. And even now, when I speak to some of my like people that have been students the same sort of time as me, and they, I, I mentioned that, they're like, oh, you're the girl. I'm like, yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> the story's been around quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so um, I was willed straight up to the labour ward, um, but quite quickly I caught sepsis. <laughs> so then I was transferred to another more specialised hospital. And um, my labour was very long and intense and extremely painful. I know every labour is, but I just remember it being 10 times more painful than my last. And even through labour, I wasn't really there. You know, I was saying weird things, you know, like um, maybe when I give birth to this dog and, you know, just random things. And I put that down to the pain at the time. So I'm just in so much pain in between contractions. I'm in so much pain, I'm just talking rubbish. Um, And yeah, it was just an odd time. I remember every second of my labour and I remember it being extremely painful and I remember feeling like, I have sepsis this could be quite dangerous as well and then because I had a c-section with my previous baby there was another risk of a scar rupture Mm. so when it comes pushing of course that's what happened and my scar ruptured so it was um a quick uh delivery I suppose because they just had to get him out to save me and baby and so So did you have an emergency c-section no, he was born, they was going to take me for surgery, but they decided that there wouldn't be quite enough time. So they just cut me and it sounds awful, but they just cut me and took him out. Yeah. And when he arrived, he wasn't breathing. And uh, obviously he was premature as well. And I think it was as much of a shock for him as it was for everybody else in the room. So he was taken to like, the resuscitator area and then put in an incubator and taken straight down to NICU. So I didn't see him for around four hours after giving birth to him. It's not that initial connection. And I think because I wasn't feeling it already, that just added to that, you know? So um, after four hours, I went down to meet him and just sort of put my hand on an incubator. And I was saying to my husband, oh, look, he's so tiny. And my husband sort of like pointed the other direction. He was like, that's not our baby. This one's our baby. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so all, there were signs were always there, but yeah. they were just missed, missed completely. Um, and when I first held him, he was four days old. And by that point, I had gone into a bit of a survival mode, I think. I thought the only way that I could help my baby now was to express milk. There's nothing else that I can do for him. Like, I can't hold him. I can't you know, do any normal motherly things to him. So the only thing I can do is express milk. So I became obsessed with expressing. And to the point where I'd be up 24 hours a day trying to get the right amount of milk and trying to get more and more each time. Um, And then when I held him for the first time, he had um, a brachycardia, which is where the heart rate slows right down and becomes dangerously low. Um, and then he had many of them afterwards, but that was the first one that he had when he was on me. So that freaked me out massively. Mm. 
Um, but there was just lots of things. There was not one thing that tipped me over to another level. There was just so many different things. He came out of NICU um, after three weeks and then had to go back in again. So he was in NICU for in total of five weeks. And uh, like I say, at that point, I, I was just coping. I was just doing what I thought I needed to do to be a mum and to be a mum to a poorly baby. Mm. Um, and then when he did initially come home, I generally thought that I was on top of the world. I thought, I am the most amazing mum and I am doing that. Like, what are people talking about? Two children? It's not hard. I can do this. And I was like strutting around the park with my big, lovely new pram and breastfeeding on the go with a five-year-old in tow. I was like, this is so easy. And, but I was also very manic at the same time. So mm. I wasn't sleeping. I was doing crazy things in the middle of the night, you know, scrubbing the door handles with a toothbrush and really random things. Um, and also Alfie had um, allergies, so he was allergic to milk. So I was still breastfeeding, but also eating dairy. So he was, oh, he was a bit of a screamer to say the least. So he was up all hours too. Yeah, so that was the, the birth and the, the initial postnatal periods. And um, such a it, contrast then, sorry, Lacey, to, to your yeah, first. No, so your first was very sort of smooth and, and yeah. you know, I mean, all births are a natural trauma, but as in, you know, mm. as it goes pretty, you know, straightforward, whereas this, I mean, this is like a really stark contrast. This is very traumatic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that possibly now leads to me comparing a lot and I still do that. I still think, oh, why was this so easy with the first and so difficult with the second? Yeah, then must I, I'm the sort of person that analyzes absolutely mm. everything to try and find the answer. And of course, I haven't found that answer, but I think that every child, I found peace, I suppose, in saying that every child is different. Every labor is completely different and every pregnancy is completely different. But I still want to find the why. Mm. Um, yeah, so he... He finally got diagnosed with milk allergy. And then once he became better and the screaming calmed down, that's when my mental health took a huge, massive hit. So um, I was very low and I was also very manic. But it wasn't noted at that point, not by me or by anybody. And it wasn't until he started to come better that I then started to see things that weren't there. I started to hear things that weren't, actually there and at first it was like oh okay this is I'm sure everybody could hear that and then they became quite dark and quite scary and um you know I was having voices in my head telling me to harm the baby and um, telling me to end my life quite scary you know mm. and it's so real there's no denying how like even now I can't quite differentiate what is real and what is reality like what was reality and what was not yeah the the only thing I could sort of like how I could sort of relate to it is you know when you think you can hear your baby crying mm -hmm. and it's so real it's like I can hear it and then you look at the monitor and they're not they're not crying they're yeah. fast asleep and you're like but I can hear it yeah yeah and Definitely. I think that I, I could that's the only way I could sort of imagine that but obviously a lot worse and a lot more scary. yeah yeah 
and it's just like you say it's just so real and once you've experienced a baby crying sort of thing I think that's the perfect I've not heard that before I'm going to use it but that is like the perfect way to describe it because it was there you know and the television was and on the news it, I was hearing different things to what somebody next to me was hearing um and I didn't live far from a football stadium as well, so I could hear the game on and I could hear chanting, but it was chanting telling me to kill my baby and to harm my baby. And that's me became the new normal. I thought that that was just, you know, I thought that I didn't realise that I was unwell, to put it blankly. I didn't mm. know. Um, so my husband works very long, very, um, very long shifts. And one day I was walking my daughter to preschool and it was the first day that we did it together since these um, sort of new things started happening to me. And I remember walking down the hill and I was thinking, there's someone behind me and he's carrying a gun and he's going to kill me and he's going to kill my daughter. And it sounds awful to say now, but in complete honesty, I wasn't worried about the baby because if the baby went, then this would all go. So, but if he was to harm my daughter, then, you know, that, that can't happen. So I remember like, almost holding my daughter and walking down the hill with her and she was like what are you doing mum and when I turned around there was a man there and he had all the weapons and he was running towards us so I picked up my daughter and ran down the hill with her leaving my husband and the baby at the top of the hill and I can remember like my husband saying to me now that was the most scariest confusing time for mm. me because I had no clue what was going on you know and the man behind us just walked past my husband like normal because he was completely normal but to me he was the biggest threat and he was going to kill me and my child and by the end of when my husband caught up with me I was like stripping my clothes off I was screaming I was in complete crisis um and I think that that point was the most scariest darkest point for me um and then he literally, my husband was like my saviour. He is my rock. He dropped my daughter to school, scooped me up, took me in a car, and we sat in A&E, and he said, I'm not going anywhere until this, you know, this is looked at. This is, there's something here, obviously, and it's scaring me and everyone around us, and she needs help. And I got the most amazing, I'm so lucky, I got the most amazing support straight away. I was put in a mother and baby unit the same day, and um, from there, the treatment began. And um, it was just so confusing for me. I had no clue where I was, what was happening. Um, no real idea and no concept of reality by that point. So I couldn't, I didn't know what was real. And so these mother and baby units, for anyone that doesn't know, can you explain what they are? Because they're quite incredible. They um, are and it's so amazing to hear that the same day you received help. Was this on the NHS? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I was so lucky. I mean, these mother and baby units, there's, um, I can't remember the exact number now because there's been more since I came out mm -hmm. of them, but they're very few in the UK. Um, and there needs to be so much more. There's so much, there's so much need for them. And to be in one in the same day is like unheard of because the waiting lists for them are so long. Um, but the mother and baby unit is a mental health unit um, where mums and their child can go, where the mums are treated, but also the babies are looked after. So it doesn't only give you time to um, bond with your baby, if that might be the issue, but it also gives you time to sleep. 
So the nurses will look after the baby overnight because sleep is one of the biggest helps and the biggest treatment that they can give really. Mm. So it allows you time to sleep and these units are incredible. The one that I was in had five beds, so five other mums in there who all had serious mental health illnesses that needed to be treated as a matter of urgency. Um, and they ha- it's just laid out like a house, the one that I was in in Bournemouth. And it, I give my right arm to them if I could, because what they did for me was absolutely incredible. And, and were you in there without your husband? So would he visit you on, say, weekends? How, how did it work? So I was in there for a total of nine weeks. And um, my daughter would go to preschool. So she was at school four days a week. And it was advised for him to come um, sort of not every day because I got wrapped up in that this is the baby's fault and I need to be with my daughter. I don't want to be around my baby. I, it's not my baby. I didn't ever believe that he was my baby, but that just amplified it, I suppose. And the love for my daughter just carried on growing and growing and growing where the resentment for him also kept growing. So it was like every time that I saw my daughter, I resented him that little bit more. So it was advised for him to maybe not come every day, but maybe come twice or three times a week. So he would come in with my daughter and my mum and they would sit with me for a few hours and we would have normal, what I could describe as normal, as normal as it could have been at that time. And then they would leave and I would have intense treatment whilst I was there. So the nurses took over the care for Alfie and I was given therapy and obviously on the medication um, they were giving like mother and baby bonding sessions, but at the very beginning, I couldn't even be in the same room as the child. You know, I say the child, that makes it sound awful. But at the time, that's what it was the child. Mm. I was just looking after this baby until his mum came along. And I kept saying that over and over, like, this isn't my baby. He's not mine. I'm just, somehow I've given birth to him, but he's not mine. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for the right mum to come along and they'll take him and then we'll be back to normal. And none of this would have happened. And so, and so did they, what did they put this down to? Because you'd never suffered with any mental health um, illnesses before. Did this stem from the fact that this just wasn't planned? And then there were all these knock on effects or is this a chemical imbalance that happens with our hormones and it could literally just happen to anyone did they did they figure that out with you no I mean there's been so much research behind postpartum psychosis and there's no answer um there is there's no answer they they have theories that it's very connected to bipolar disorder Mm. so someone that has bipolar is more likely to get postpartum psychosis but other than that there's no answer to it. So after a lots of therapy and after lots of speaking about what's happened, because I believe talking is the biggest therapy. So after lots of talking about what happened, I sort of found the answer in myself that, okay, this was an unwanted pregnancy and then it was a difficult pregnancy and an unconnected pregnancy and then the labor and then the birth and then the neonates. And I just put it down to that domino effect mm. There wasn't one thing, it was just constant things. And I think even without postpartum psychosis, that what I experienced would have been enough to affect anybody's mental health. Yeah, I mean, I I believe that uh, just having a baby, just like even when things are 
straightforward, great. I mean, it is a lot, (laughs) you know, so even without all the trauma and everything you experience, you know, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about what it's like when you have a baby postpartum, how it affects your relationship, your body, everything. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. And I believe now, like I speak openly about my mental health now and um, what happens to me and where I am now. And I believe that everybody must have, maybe not must have, but everybody has experienced some sort of mental health along the way. And especially postpartum, because that is such a massive change, not only for your body, but for for you and for your family. It's just, it's, it's massive. So I believe that everybody has probably suffered from something postnatally, but maybe haven't realized it or maybe haven't spoken about it. Yeah, because we're as a society told to just sort of get on with it and this is normal and and you start to feel like, well, maybe I'm just not good at this. And, you know, yeah. if I talk about it, then people are going to see that I don't have it all together or, yeah. you know, and that's why we have to talk about these things. Definitely. Um, so after the nine weeks, can, can you stay in there longer if after that time they don't feel you're ready? Yeah, so there's no time limit at all. Okay. I mean, I packed my bag for a weekend. I went on on the Friday and I packed my bag for a Monday to come home. Um, and at first, sorry, going back a little bit, at first it was like my biggest fear to be away from my daughter. And it was the most terrifying thing that could have happened to me. But towards the end, I didn't want to go home. It felt like, for me, that was my new safe place. Mm. I felt so safe there because there's nothing there that could have harmed me or could have harmed the baby. And I was locked in, you know, there's, there's locks on the doors, there's staff there 24 hours. I was safe there and I knew that I couldn't harm myself. So when I did start to come home for a couple of days at a time, I felt so vulnerable and so unsafe because I was in a place where I could potentially hurt myself if something happened or I could potentially hurt my baby. So it became my safe place and I didn't want to come home. So after the nine weeks, I wasn't really myself. I wasn't ready to come home, but I knew that I should, you mm-hmm. know? So it became, it changed completely. At first it was a very scary, very intense environment to almost my new home that I felt extremely safe in. And the new the mums that I'd met in the unit, I was so close to, they felt like my best friends because they were going through what I was going through mm. at the same time and you know I could say something to them and they'd be like yeah I get that whereas any I say normal there's no normal mum but any mum that's not suffering in the way that we were would be like whoa <laughs> that's not okay so it was just such a safe environment for me so yeah you can stay in there as long as you need to there's no kick out time you stay there as long as you you feel safe to. And so they let you go back home like a couple of days here and there. So you don't just go from like there straight back to to living in, in your home. Yeah. Yeah. They um at first I was going home for like a day trip. So I'd go home in the morning, come back in the afternoon. Then I went for an overnight trip. And the first time that I went for an overnight trip, I had a episode where um I believed I could hear people in my head again and I was having almost nightmares, but during the day, so like daydreams, but day Mm. nightmares. Um, And I could see vivid, horrible scenes of, um, 
things that I believed were going to happen. I believed that I could see the future. So I could see lots of blood, lots of scary, horrific, you know, gory things. And so when I was at home, I was having this. And I remember being out in a shop. We was only doing a little bit of food shopping, getting some milk. And through the treatment and everything that I'd had there, they taught me a grounding exercise where you can feel something. And so I grabbed an orange and in the shop and I started squeezing this orange to try and get back into reality mm -hmm. and to try and stop the horrible thoughts that were going on and feel where I was and know that I'm safe with my mum and with my husband. So I was squeezing this orange to death and I remember my husband and my mum looking at each other and I was like, I, need, I just couldn't get any words out, but that that ended in a suicide attempt and um, me trying to harm baby as well. So I was taken obviously straight back in and that was clear that I wasn't ready to go home. Yeah. Then. And so that all happened on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I describe my psychosis as like, it's a roller coaster. I could be, you know, absolutely fine and you know there's days that my husband come in and be like wow you look amazing they'll be like yeah I feel great like let's do this let's do that and we would go for a walk and we would go out of the unit and then it takes a split second for me to have those illusions and have those disbeliefs again where I could see very scary very vivid scary things happening and like I say I believe that I could see the future so I thought they were all coming true mm. like premonitions Almost, yeah exactly exactly that and so how long were you so you were in there a total of nine weeks nine weeks yeah and so how did you eventually get to the stage where you felt ready to transition to going home well within that nine weeks I um when I first went in I didn't want anything to do with my baby so the bonding thing was a massive hurdle to jump I suppose so um it was help bonding with the baby and help just acknowledging that he was mine and um so there was lots of intense treatment like that and I think I wouldn't have been not allowed but I wouldn't have been accepted to go home if I still didn't believe he was mine so there was lots of work on that and also the other thing that I started to do once I started to feel a little bit better was make soap and it sounds a bit mental but the one of the nurses in there was trying to find different um experiences and different different therapy things to do like physically um I drew a lot because I I used to love drawing as a teenager and hadn't drawn for a long time but I found drawing was like the way to get my emotions out so I draw some quite dark images that I wouldn't want others to see but it was like me getting my head on paper so after doing lots of drawing I was like I need to do something else I started to get a bit better and I started to feel a bit more like myself I need to do something so I started making soaps and um, I, I felt like every time that I was making a soap, like the darkness and the thoughts that I was having and these scary moments that I was having weren't present when I was making a piece of soap. Yeah, because you're just focused on that. Just focused on that, definitely. Whereas with the drawing, I was focusing on an image that I could see. So it was like making it bigger almost. Um, so yeah. Then it quickly became an obsession because I quickly realized, oh my God, when I make soap, I don't have any of the darkness. So I'm going to make soap all the time, 24 hours a day, so they never come back. <laughs> and that was like my thought process. And that is what I did. I made soap and occasionally 
you know, change the baby's nappy or occasionally bath the baby, occasionally fed him, but I would make soap. And it got to the point where I had them everywhere, you know, all in the bathrooms. I gave them to all the mums, all the nurses. And I think that that was, although it was me avoiding care for the baby, it was also a massive step for my recovery because I found something that gave me space and gave me a time, something to focus on. And so when I eventually became well enough to go home, and I'd had quite a few trips at home by that point, and um, things were moving in the right direction. And when I came home, I still had intense care from the home team. But I remember leaving the mother and baby unit and giving all the nurses a piece of soap all wrapped pretty with a thank you card. And one of the nurses said to me, do you know, you could sell these. They're so beautiful. And I thought, and she went, when you're ready, you should share your story to raise awareness. And I was just like, yeah, right. I know. <laughs> um, but I held on to that. And obviously that's where my business has come from today. But when I came home, I still had intense treatment from the crisis team, mm. perinatal team. So I had someone in at least once a day for a few hours. So um, the soap making carried on and my house became full of soap. And I also had treatment at home. And where are you today? So how many years ago was this? How do you feel today? Um, and obviously the business is thriving. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about sort of where you left off there to how, how you are today. So I think, I mean, I still have struggles. I still have moments where I question reality. But I think that's just part of recovery, you know. And I had Alfie in 2019, so just over two years ago. And since then, obviously, we've had lockdown. We've had a crazy world that we live in. Yeah. Um, and I think that affects anybody's mental health. But someone with psychosis can affect it even more so in the visions and the scary thoughts that we might have. So it's been up and down. It's not been a straight road. And um, I was never told that it would be a straight road either. So I knew that it was going to be hard work. But I absolutely adore my child, both of them. And I feel like all the time I missed out with Alfie I has been made up in abundance now. He's two, he's thriving, he's talking, he's walking, he's doing all the normal things that a two-year-old does. He has hard work, but he's also amazing. So all of those thoughts that I had about adoption, um, about harming him and about eliminating him with my words, just seem ludicrous to me now mm. because he is unreal. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in a, a completely different place to where I was. And I'm so grateful for all of the support that I had because if I didn't, you know, I wouldn't be here today. And how has COVID and the lockdown affected you? Because like you said, it, it's affected everyone. Mm. Um, and, you know, the news has been very scary and intense, particularly in the beginning when we just none of us knew what was going on. Mm. Did that trigger you in any way? Or have you got, you know, all these amazing tools and coping mechanisms now? Well, I definitely have these coping mechanisms. I feel like they're embedded in me now because mm. when you live in an environment like the mother and baby unit that practices these coping tools every day, um, they're embedded in me now. But psych 
the psychosis really did take a turn when we had the lockdown because when it started in China, you know, when we thought it was just a little thing in China, I remember saying to my husband, this is going to be a worldwide thing. This is going to be a pandemic. And he was like, oh, no, this is just a little, yeah, it's another little virus somewhere. It'll be fine. So when it did become a pandemic and did become a worldwide thing, my theory of seeing the future almost came true. Mm. So to me, that was a massive trigger because then I believed that I could see the future. So then I was having visions of a zombie apocalypse and I was thinking, right, I've already seen that the, that the virus is going to do this. So I know that the next thing is going to be a zombie apocalypse. And thankfully at the time I was still having very intense treatment. So I had a lot of help with that. And um, I didn't have to go to a mother and baby unit again, but I had a lot of help at home with dealing with these thoughts and a lot mm. of therapy and just talking about them and talking them through and realizing that that wasn't reality. And okay, we are in a pandemic, but, things are going to improve and um, so yeah that is it's been a bit of a roller coaster again there's no straight line the other thing was face masks because one of my very horrible scary visions was a man in, in a medical face mask so when the face masks first come about I was terrified of leaving home I was terrified of seeing anybody in a face mask I would refuse to wear one as well so when the law came in to wear face masks in public places I wouldn't leave the house and um, again, lots of therapy, lots of treatment from the amazing mental health teams made me okay with it. And now I wear a face mask and I don't think twice about it. It's just normal. It's the new normal for us. Yeah. There's lots of things that have just triggered it over and over. But I think I've learned to live with it now. I'm like, okay, yeah, I am a bit, I don't want to use the word mental, but mental. <laughs> And I do go a little bit off the rails sometimes, but that's just me. Like yeah. I just need to know and need to know when to use those coping mechanisms to make it not escalate into what it was. For anyone listening, what is the difference between postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis? Because I feel like postnatal depression does get spoken about a lot, but oh. postnatal psychosis not so much. No. So postnatal depression is a lot more common. Um, so postnatal depression, you know, check, numbers change all the time, but they say more than one in 10 women currently. But I don't believe those statistics are really true. I think there's so many more women because they don't speak about it. Exactly. Think of all the women that just suffer in silence. Exactly. So one in 10 from the NHS website, but really so many more. Whereas psychosis is 0.1%. So I think it's like one in 1,000. So it's very rare. Um, and also it's very sudden, whereas um, postnatal depression is quite a gradual thing. So with my psychosis, I, I it went within a week, I suppose, my mental health went from depression to psychosis. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a massively quick turn, turn, whereas depression is quite a gradual thing and can happen up to one year after having a baby. Um, and then I'd say the other differences are the hallucinations, the confusion and the delusions. So with depression, if, it, if you start hearing things and seeing things, then you know that that actually, that probably needs more attention. That's not just yeah. depression, so much more than that there. Um, yeah, so there's, there's 
so many differences, although it's not spoken about. It's I think the main the main thing to be concerned or worried about would be those delusions and confusion and seeing things or hearing things that weren't really there. I think and it's impossible for you to know that because at the time that is so real for you. Yeah. But if others around you, you know, when you have your support network around you, whether it be your partner, your family, um, so for those people to sort of keep note of that and be aware of what's going on with you. Yeah, and I think the lack of sleep, I mean, in those early days, I have never felt so exhausted. And the lack of sleep was really making me feel just weird. I remember saying to my husband, I feel like I'm on drugs. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. feel okay. Like, like I've never been this sleep deprived before. Um, And for me, it was just the normal sort of lack of sleep and then you know as we established feeding it you know it was literally a few days but if that had carried on yeah I can see how that could also you know say if your baby suffers with reflux or whatever it might be and you just aren't sleeping that could very easily tip into something else where you should just you're just not yourself when you're not getting the sleep you need either yeah Um, sleep is so important yeah, it's well, it's a recognized form of torture, lack of sleep, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. when we don't have it, it can really affect us. And yeah. Lacey, what's your message for anyone that's listening that might be currently struggling with their postpartum experience? I my biggest message is to talk and it's okay not to be okay, especially after having a baby. I think society paints this picture that we have a baby and everything is flower and roses. And sometimes it is, and that's amazing. But a lot of the time it's not. A lot of the time, like you say, you're sleep deprived, you're trying to establish breastfeeding. It's hard work. And that sort of thing is missed out a little bit. You know, you're not told about that part. So I just want to say to other people and to anyone, anyone that will listen that it's okay not to be okay and you can talk about it. Because I think another massive fear is if someone speaks about how they're really feeling, um, that social services will get involved and take their child. I've heard that so many times mm-hmm. um, from so many amazing women that that's how they feel and that's why they won't talk about it. Where, as a matter of fact, social services don't do that. They're there to support us. And in an extreme case when they may get involved, they are there to support us. But initially, you just need to seek that help. Yeah, and your story is such one of hope, hence the lovely name of your business, because your, I mean, your husband sounds just amazing. The fact that you went and got that help and you got that support and they are there to help you with you and your baby together. They're not wanting to separate you or, you know, they're there to help you as a family. And I think that's why it's so amazing that you're sharing this because it is a story of hope. Um, But it is also, you're very brave for speaking about this because it is, you know what you went through it sounds extremely traumatic and it's something that you're also still living with yeah you know um but I think even if one person listens to this and recognizes something in themselves and goes to get help that's incredible definitely definitely and I always say that like when I was going through it I was so ashamed of what I was going through and I was so ashamed of telling anybody that I didn't want my baby 
and I didn't want him anywhere near me and I just didn't love him and now I almost want to shout it from the rooftops and say actually yeah that did happen to me but look where look where I am now recovery is possible and it might be a bit crap but there's so much that can help you yeah. So like you said, if I, if one person listens to my story and seeks help from it, then I feel like I've done everything I set out to do. And also you were having those feelings because you weren't well. Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. not because you don't love your baby. You no. weren't well, you exactly. know, you, you needed help. And I think we all need more help when we have a baby. You know, yeah. they say it takes a village and we've kind of lost that now. We're just, you know, yeah. we leave the hospital and like, we're just, we, most of us just get on with it with very yeah. little support. Um, especially if you live away from family. So, you know, we all need varying degrees of help. Um, so thank you so, so much for sharing that. Um, we're going to do a little quick fire round now. Okay. Um, What's your one piece of advice for first-time mums? I would say to be aware of mental health after having a baby. So not necessarily worrying about it, but just be aware of it and be aware of what can happen because I was completely unaware and I think that made it 10 times more scary. What's one thing nobody warned you about before you became a mum? postpartum psychosis <laughs> and I'd heard of postnatal depression I'd heard of some postnatal mental illnesses but I'd never heard of postpartum psychosis so I think if maybe at one point I was handed a leaflet in an appointment or you know just anything to be aware of what could happen would would have probably been very different experience for me and this is why talking about it is so important because if you have the information, you then can be aware of it. Exactly. Whereas if exactly. you just have no idea that this is even a possibility or a thing, mm -hmm. you don't know what's happening, do you? Exactly. And I think that's for me, was the most scariest thing. And for my family, because we'd had no real exposure to mental health illnesses. Um, me, my husband, my mum, my, my family really had never really experienced mental health. So for those things to be happening to me and me having no clue. And I was a student midwife and I had no idea of what postpartum psychosis was. So yeah, if I had just been handed a leaflet or even, you know, if it was sitting on the kitchen side and I caught eye of it one day, or I'd heard someone speak about their story with it, or my husband had heard something, then maybe it would have been picked up sooner and maybe my experience might have been slightly different. Yeah, or in antenatal classes. Why don't we just talk about this? Like, this can happen. It's very yeah. rare, probably won't happen, but you should be aware of it. Be aware of it. And it's not to worry people because the last thing I want to do is worry uh, an expecting mum that this is going to happen to them because, like you say, it is very rare and it probably won't happen. But just be aware that it might happen. Mm. What's your favourite thing about being a mum? Oh, <laughs> I love being a mum I I find it very challenging at times but I absolutely love being a mum and I love my children to death and the things that they do and do you know I think my all-time favorite things is just the things that they come out with like my two-year-old is now saying mum and he's now you know walking up to me and putting his arms out and going mm, mum <laughs> and those little things 
yeah and my five-year-old tells me that she loves me in front of her friends and she's like I'm not embarrassed to say it mum I love you and those little moments make being a mum amazing and finally Lacey what does motherhood mean to you in three words oh um I would say motherhood is rewarding um it's unbelievable really and that that can be used in so many ways unbelievable but for me my experience has been unbelievable and um and yeah reward challenging is the other one as well i would say because there are challenges to being a mum um yeah the challenges are i i always feel like just when i'm getting to grips with one element of it then there's something else yeah yeah and it's just and that never goes away. So it's not like there's this like end point where it's like, okay, I can relax and I'm like, yeah. there's always something. Always another one. Yeah. To be worried about or to get your head around or yeah, L- like yeah. lots of challenges. <laughs> so many. And my daughter's now five and she's obviously been school this year for the first year. And she hasn't really been at school this year because we've been in and out of lockdowns. So that's a challenge in itself because she's half you know half expecting to go to school half at home yeah so there's their challenges like you say they never stop there's always another one but they're fun at the same time I love some of them Lacey where can people buy your beautiful products so they can find me on my website which is soapandhope.co.uk I'm also on social media at Soap and Hope One. And on my social media pages, I speak about my story openly. And um, also on my website, my story is there to read if you wanted to go and read it. And I also share other women's story as well. So other brave women that have come forward to share their story to help normalize postnatal mental health. And you have some amazing links to support on your website as well, don't you? So where people can find the support they need in the UK. So I'll share all of that in the show notes below so people can find. Lacey, thank you so much. I'm honestly so honored to have had you on and for, for people listening to have heard your story. Thank you for being so brave and vulnerable in sharing. So thank you so much. And I'm sure you're helping so many women. Thank you. Thank you, Lacey. A huge thank you once again to Lacey for sharing her remarkable story of hope with the Friday's Child community. You can find links to Lacey's Instagram and the Soap and Hope website in the show notes below. You can also find links below to our social media accounts, along with info on our recently launched Meaningful Mama Mornings, which take place every month here in Dubai. With these Mama Mornings, we are so thrilled to be able to bring you a different expert guest in person each month from infant sleep consultants, weaning experts, parenting coaches, and so much more. So I really hope to see you at one of our events in the near future. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review, and subscribe to Friday's Child, the podcast to help us reach more wonderful mamas. Until next time, thank you for listening.